this. Is your name in order to? Is this move for it? I've had some minor success with it. You bet me! I've been dating this girl. She's white. A white girl? It's okay. We hate terrorists. Can you imagine a world in which we end up together? I don't know. Love isn't easy. That's why they call it love. I don't really get that. I thought I could just start saying something and something small would come out. The Big Sick in cinemas July 28th. Once again to the Movie for Two podcast, I'm Tim Collins and with me is Danny Lee. And Dan, we're remarkably on the pulse of things here with this movie choice. Can I tell you why? Why? Well, part of this movie is about finding rays of light and fun amid the backdrop of a coma. And in this period of self-isolation, that's kind of what this is like. (laughs) We're trying to find some rays of light and some humour amid this period where you're not allowed to do anything. Uh Uh-huh. It's basically like being in a sort of working life coma. Yes. Yeah, just floating through life at the yeah. moment, aren't we? Every day is the same. What day of the week is it today? Yeah, I know. I've got no clue what day of the week it is. <laughs> you and I have both been uh, stuffed work-wise by this thing. We're it's both... no longer March, right? Like, Yeah, I know. March went for like 996 <laughs> days, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a nice segue to go into our movie. I well, thought that was done. quite neat, you yeah. know, to incorporate this whole sort of madness that we're all trying to live through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nice little segue into the movie that we're about to do, which is The Big Sick which was released in Australia on the 3rd of August, 2017. This is a movie about Pakistan-born comedian Kumal and a student named Emily falling in love before their cultures clash. Emily then develops an intense illness, which forces her into a coma, leaving Kumal to deal with her parents and his culture. Incredibly, this movie was inspired by Kumal Nanjiani's, is that how I say it? Nanjiani, I think. Nanjiani, I yeah. think, yeah. K- Kumal Nanjiani's own experience in which he fell in love with his now wife, Emily V. Gordon, while she was in a coma. They wrote this movie together. That's pretty incredible, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. This stars Kamal Nanjiani as himself, Zoe Kazan as Emily, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano as the parents. This movie was directed by Michael Showalter, a comedian himself as well as a director, but who's primarily known for his work in television in the US. This was an Oscar nominee for Best Original Screenplay. It had a budget of $5 million and made $56 million, which is a big success for a pretty small independent movie, which Ooh, this yeah. is. This has an IMDb score of 7.5 out of 10, which is pretty high for a comedy, if you can even call this a comedy, if you can categorise. It's definitely a comedy. Yeah? Yes. My take on this movie is not – it's pretty cliche, I'm just saying. Okay. I'm sticking with it, though. So you're saying your take's cliche, not the movie's cliche? No, my take is cliche. Okay. Laughter is the best medicine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Geez, you're a sop. <laughs> this is a comedy. Mm. And – you know it's a comedy because every time Kumal has done a press release, he's like, I have to reinforce people. This is definitely a comedy, but it's also a drama. So all the comedy helps you to deal with all the family drama that's going on. Like yep. he's meeting the parents for the first time, his own family drama and the whole situation with the expectations they put on him. It's a serious illness that he's got to cope through with comedy. And I think that the best part that comedy plays in this is when Kumal uses comedy to get the upper hand 
on all those awkward conversations about race. Yes. He does it absolutely yeah. brilliantly. Yeah. I've got points about that later for the sit imperfection. I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. I th- think that this movie is a rom-com. You know, I, I do agree with you, but it sits quite loosely in that genre. I think that this is a movie that's got a totally unique arc or, a, or almost a unique concept to it. Yeah, so it really is. What it does is it, it dispenses with the will they or won't they thing that pretty much is the, the cornerstone of every rom-com. And Instead, it gets the two main characters together straight away. Yeah. So it presents the challenge from there. So rather than presenting the challenges, can the guy get the girl or vice versa, the challenge becomes, so what now? Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, how do we get through this? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I was thinking about, if you want to put it this way, is that rom-coms tend to center on the obstacles to attraction. They sort of put obstacles between two people who are attracted. This focuses on the obstacles to happiness and collective identity, which is a much heavier and complex topic. And that... Somehow, this movie doesn't forget that its task is still to entertain. So as Mm. you say, you still get those great little sort of dark humour moments that punctuate a pretty moving story. And so it's like anything but a templated movie. It's sort of, it almost doesn't have a description, this movie. It's incredible. Yeah. Falling in love with a girl while she's in a coma. I know. And basically falling in love with her through her parents yes. is quite, that's really unique. Yeah. Just just the way that this is delivered is just not something that you've sort of, you've ever seen before. It's a totally unique concept and, and the way the arc of this story mm. works is just completely different to what you normally get in this particular genre. Yeah, I love it. What about this movie makes it a movie for two in your eyes, Danny? This is a really easy answer. Yeah. It's because it's so real. Yeah. Like it shows all of the super awkward parts of a relationship's of a relationship, sorry, but it makes it all seem totally normal. Yeah. They don't really sort of dwell in it. It's just like, yeah, shit can get real awkward, but we're just going to get on with it. It also has like so many different touch points that people can identify with. It's just like the same thing as you were saying. It doesn't really fit into one genre. So lots of different people can identify with it and you can kind of turn it on no matter what mood you're in. If you're looking to watch a comedy and I'm looking to – watch a movie that might make me cry. Not that this did make me cry, but it might. We can both watch this movie. Lots and- of movies do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not usually a crier. But this movie fits into both those categories, so it makes everybody happy. Yeah, I think that this movie falls into the same general sphere as Silver Linings Playbook, which we covered with an earlier episode. Listeners, if you haven't heard that one, go back and uh, and give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy if you enjoyed this particular one as well. I think that these movies are movie for two because they're not nauseating. You know, they're touching, they're real, they deal with actual stuff like you're talking about. And I think that generally rom-coms often fall very much into the sort of guilty pleasure bucket, if you know what I mean, (laughs) which is fine, but they're not often sort of a great sharing experience because they're loaded with cliches and predictabilities and all that sort of thing that just turn too many people away. I think that those particular movies have a very, very defined audience, whereas the appeal of this can be broader because it doesn't have those trigger points that skeptics of rom-coms will go, oh, for fuck's sake, Uh, you know, this all over again. So this movie is satisfying because it's different, it's funny, it's endearing, and it feels totally independent. And I think because of that, it's shareable, and therefore that's what makes it a movie for two in my eyes. Definitely. Let's get into the segments. We always start with perfection, imperfection. We always kick this off with perfection, where we pick things out that for one reason or another were perfect in the movie. Do you want to go first, Danny? Yeah, happy to go first. You've already kind of said the fact that they get together right at the very start of the movie. Yeah. And it's a real testament to the way that Emily's character is developed and the yes. way that Zoe acts in this because 
She's in a coma for most of the movie. Yeah. And yet you fall in love with her more than Kamal does because he doesn't realise he's in love with her until later. Yeah. So her acting is incredible. Yeah. I have a, a, a point on her as well that I may as well go on now. I had a little bit further down my list, but she's only in this movie for really short periods, mm. but manages to be this huge presence throughout yeah. the movie. I mean, you've got to remember, she's the one that's in the coma. Yeah. But somehow she's this enormous presence in the movie. And I think you touched on it earlier when you said that her parents do a really good job of somehow elevating her personality while she's not in scenes. Mm -hmm. But what I also like is that she cuts through romance bullshit like a knife. Her her category (laughs) does. Sorry, her character does. So she's not this little like attention-seeking sort of love drunk idiot at all. She's like super smart and strong and independent. There's an awesome line where they sit down to watch a movie at the start and Kamal's like sort of (laughs) – you know, kind of being like, oh, test? yeah, you know, you've got to watch this movie and whatever. And he's obviously trying to see what she thinks of it. And she goes, I love it when men test me on my taste. <laughs> it's like, it sums up her character. She cuts through real bullshit real quickly. And yeah. her character is what gives this a non-traditional rom-com feel. Totally. She does a really good job. So my first point that I had to go back to my first one in perfection is that I like the sort of getting back into that thing about how it deals with the, well, what now after Mm. people have got together. I like how the actual romance between the pair is never actually shown, neither at the beginning and at the end. They take all of the passion and that sort of, you know, that sort of theatre-ish sort of passion that comes with movies in this particular genre. They take it all away. It gets rid of all that crap, the fantasy of all of it. So <laughs> The it, Disney side of yeah, it, basically. It, it yeah. takes all that away. And so what it does is it instead places you into the middle of two people trying to get to know each other in a very real way and people who are trying to put forward the best parts of themselves while also sort of trying to hide their insecurities. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's that awesome scene where she wakes up in the middle of the night yes. and wants to go yes. <laughs> to go across the street to the diner. Yes. <laughs> she's like, it gets to the end of it. She goes this whole elaborate story and she's like, I just need to take a shit. <laughs> you have no air freshener. <laughs> yes. So she's trying to hide that. And then obviously he's trying to hide the insecurities he has about his culture and his family and arranged marriage and all that. Yep. And the disapproval that, you know, his, he knows that his family will have for her. He doesn't want to have to make the choice between her and her family and yeah. his family. And so they place you right into the middle of that and strip away all the fantasy crap that you normally get in this particular genre. I think that's really well done in this. Yeah, it's such a modern romance. Like he's the Uber driver on their first <laughs> date and everything. I love it. Have you got anything else for perfection? I absolutely love how they've cast Emily's parents. Yeah. You've got... Ray Romano and this booming voice, he's six foot one and a half. I looked this up. Juxtaposed with Holly Hunter, who's five foot two. Yeah. And yet she controls the room. Yes. Every time they're together, yep. her confidence just cuts through everything else. Yep. I love it. So I've got points on both of those parents. Mm-hmm. I may as well go with them right now. So Holly Hunter, who plays the mum, as you say, I love how surprising her character is. When you first meet her, so it's, it's such a well-written character, but also a well-acted character mm. as well. When you first meet her, you're convinced that she's like, she's got a bit of a Southern accent. Yes. And so you think she's going to be this like harsh redneck, like full of prejudice. Yeah. And that's what you're sort of thinking. And then you've obviously got a Pakistan-born character and you're like, oh, this is where this yeah. is going to go. And then it's not at all like that. She's no. like warm and accepting, but she's like gentle and fierce at the same time. Protective of her daughter. Yeah, really protective. And she's also, you find out that she's been wronged by her husband. Her husband's cheated on her. So she's got this really cold marriage, but somehow her character's full of warmth despite that. Yep. It's an awesome character. And then for Ray Romano, I've got a note here in front of me that says, this is like a sports performance. 
So oh. I'll try and relate yeah, this back. Okay. You know, obviously I'm a sports nerd and I get into all this sort of shit, right? Wearing a New York Yankees jersey right now. <laughs> I am actually. Not a, not a jersey, Just a hoodie. Hoodie, sorry. So this is a, obviously a comedian who's, you know, sitcoms and all that and there's most of his movie work has um, been like voiceover work in animated stuff, right? Oh, yeah, he's the mammoth in Ice Age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, booming. So this role is totally transformative. This is Ray Romano was no one had really ever seen him before. And keep in mind, he then goes on to be in The Irishman, I think probably off the quality of his performance in this. Definitely. When you get someone that puts in a performance that's like this transformative from what they were previously, that's like the big sports performance where the athlete turns the corner. You know what I mean? Ah. They make that big breakthrough. It's like LeBron in 2012, (laughs) you know, when he decides. I totally know what that's like. So, you know. (laughs) There might be some sports fans out there that know what I'm talking about. But it's like when an athlete is able to make this huge transformation that unlocks everything else in front of them, Mm -hmm. this is kind of Ray Romano doing that. He's Mm -hmm. basically going into a place that he's never been before and totally transforms himself. And I think if you get performances like that in movies, that's what makes good movies great ones. Absolutely spot on. You've just thrown me with all this sports talk now. Is it like Brady when his first Super Bowl? Oh, I don't know enough history. No, know. not quite. Okay. Not quite, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll think of some other sports ones. We'll probably discuss those off air so we don't make everyone switch off. <laughs> what else have you got for perfection? It's just great that you bring up them because I think that fight that that couple that the parents have is really good as well. It just brings an extra bit of spark to the whole movie, yeah. a bit of depth. Um, I love a really small point, but I do love Kamal's ringtone, the X-Files ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> so ominous. And then when the, one of the girls that comes around, yeah. they're trying to get arranged marriage. The truth is out there. <laughs> so Here's my photo for your files. Your X-Files. The truth is out there. <laughs> My accent was probably no good then. But anyway, <laughs> we tried. I do love all those family dinners with them. Like you see just enough of the the women's personalities to not be like they could have basically just had his cigar box with the photos as like a montage and that could have been it. Yeah. But they made an effort to go the way to be like, no, these are real women who are in the same situation as him and some of them want this arranged marriage, maybe some of them don't, but you, it's not just a one-sided view of that. Um, cultural situation. Yeah, because you get their, pres- uh, their their sort of feelings on it as well and they're sort of like, you know, I'm being pushed into this too and, yeah. you know, I'm starting to feel as though like will it ever happen properly and yeah. they're sort of having their own questions about it. Yeah, I like that. You are, it's rather than being a singular view, you're sort of getting more of a sort of a collective sense of it. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I had for perfection was that I just can't think of another movie that does the humor in dark times thing better than this one. And there probably is. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. This movie touches on some pretty sensitive topics, right? It's got racial tension, religious constraints, culture clashes, unhappy marriages, and yet still manages to punctuate all of those topics with these endearing moments of comedy. See, laughter is the best medicine. Exactly. And... (laughs) That like my favourite one is when uh, he's just met the parents, and so Ray Romano as a dad goes, "So what do you think about 9-11? <laughs> oh, this <laughs> interaction. I've always wanted to have a conversation with about it with people. You've never talked to people about nine eleven. No. What's your what's your stance? What's my stance on nine eleven? Oh, um. Anti. 
It was a tragedy. I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's very quickly backstep. Yes, that was a joke. That was a joke. Sorry. Sorry. But I can't think of another movie that does the sort of the laugh through the really, really sort of hard topics like this one does. And mm. it does it in a really endearing way. Yeah, you talked about Silver Linings at the top there. It's sort of the same. There's dark comedy involved in that, but this is in a very different context, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that this is more overtly a comedy than mm. than that one is. Mm-hmm. I think that that one's got some that that one's got some funny moments through the sort of the exploration of characters, whereas this one's got specifically written funny lines. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. there's a slightly different sort of element of the comedy that's in that. Yeah, good point. Have you got anything else for perfection? I have one other point, mm-hmm. and it's the stress eating. Yeah. Oh, so relatable. Yeah. So relatable. And his reaction when he goes to the drive-thru and he's just like, I just want a hamburger with four slices of cheese. And they're like, there's no button for that. And it's like, oh, my God. You're just yelling at a machine that's talking back to you is the best release of tension. The thing is, he's not talking to a machine. He's talking to an actual human who's on his first day. it's a human who's just like, computer says no. So, so I'll just bring you up four burgers. No, I want a burger with four slices of cheese. Just put four slices of cheese on it. Yes. So I'll bring you up for four burgers. He goes and apologizes. all the rubbish over. Goes, man. Have you got anything else for perfection before we move on? That's all I got. Before we get to imperfection, time for a quick break. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about another podcast you should definitely be listening to by our friends over at the Chatflix podcast, hosted by Melbourne-based writer and performer Bros Avard and featuring a rotating cast of regular panellists. The Chatflix podcast is a weekly pod that looks at cinema classics as well as the not-so-classic. These guys really know their stuff and they're inviting you to join them each week to discuss your favourite films, looking back on their successes and their flaws. Chatflix is a podcast about getting lost in both memories and the films themselves. Chatflix, more than anything, is nostalgia. So check them out wherever you get your pods and follow them on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Chatflix Podcast, all one word. They're also about to expand onto YouTube as they rapidly approach their 200th episode, which is going to be on Jaws. What a movie. So keep an eye out for that. Right, that's all for now. Back to the big sick. All right, we're back. Time for Imperfection, where we pick out things in the movie that for one reason or another were not so perfect. Can I go first here? Yeah. So, you know the first fight that Kamal and Emily have, which is before she gets sick? Yes. So that she sort she's of, found the photos. Yeah, she's found the photos, and it's sort of his uh, his religious background, and he's sort of him trying to hide his family, and that sort of thing comes up. Yep. And she kind of blows up. Yep. About it all. Yep. I think that that's totally out of whack with her character. You reckon? Yeah. So she's really accepting. She's open-minded, smart, intelligent. I think that her character would be more understanding of him trying to hide his heritage and his family from her a little bit. I don't think she's angry. She's not angry about him hiding his heritage. She's angry that he hasn't told his parents about her. Yeah, of course, because he's trying to essentially... Yeah, he's trying to hide her yeah, yeah, from yeah. his parents because he's sort of trying to hide his his heritage and his yeah. the, the religious beliefs that he comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to sort of separate himself all from that and he's trying to focus on having a relationship with this person yeah. before getting into the messiness of all of that, which he knows is going to unfold. Yeah. I think that she would be more accepting 
of that than what happens in that fight. I think that fight's out of whack. And the reason why I bring it up is because a lot of the movie's premise is based upon that fight. Mm. They She goes yeah, yeah, into yeah. the coma off the back of that being an issue. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I think that's a flawed issue because of that. I think that her character, the way it's her character is written, yep. would be more understanding of the way that he's dealt with that than she is. I think she's just really upset that she that he can't see a future in which they're together is like the line that she says. Is there a, is there a future in which we end up together, basically? And he says no, and she's really upset. So it's like if she doesn't fall into the coma or if she's not put into the coma and they've got time to work through it, maybe they do, but her initial reaction is all you get. You don't get the, oh, she's had time to cool off now and then that's it. Like she's she's then in a coma and they don't get to sort it out. Yeah, I get you. I, I, it was just something that's just Bit sort of, of an, yeah, yeah it was, maybe I'm sort of nitpicking a little bit, <laughs> but you know, that's what this segment. I just hadn't thought about it that deeply, to be honest. That's yeah. what this segment's for. What mm-hmm. have you got for imperfection? It comes, I think that this movie comes close to being one where the funniest bits are in the trailer. Okay. And there was a lot of hype around it before it came out. Like everyone really talked it up. So, it is still a really funny movie, but it just, it kind of got, not ruined, but a little bit ruined because you kind of go in thinking that it's going to be absolutely hilarious from start to finish. Yeah, it's one of those ones where the you've got kind of an epic trailer and then a very good movie rather yes. than an epic trailer and an epic movie. Yes. Or, you know, the classic, it's like, don't give too much of it away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I know what you mean. So one of the other things that I had for imperfection was after she comes out of the coma mm-hmm. and he goes round to her house when um, she, they're sort of having the welcome home yeah. party for Emily, right? And then uh, he's like, can I talk to you for a bit? And they go off into the room. And then he tries to guilt trip her with the bag of yes, devotion. It's so bad. It's, that's fucked, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So he's like, oh, and here's all of the sort of visitor passes that I had from when you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And here's my bracelets from the hospital that I had. Mm-hmm. And here's all the like the whatever. I can't remember all the things. It's but he parking call, tickets or something. I don't but know. he calls it a bag of devotion. Yeah. And it's like he basically tries to guilt trip her to go back with him. That bit's that's whacked. Yeah, no. And it's don't have that conversation when everyone else is at the party and then if you just ruin the party for uh, it. Dude, yeah. yeah. He's definitely not the most romantic. No. <laughs> what else have you got for imperfection? How bad is his one man show? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like intentionally bad, but it's so awkward. Oh. I mean, I, I do like though the comedy in this being like horrific. It's sort of because it adds to that realness thing. So yeah. it's like rather than having beautiful people in like, you know, LA, mm-hmm. you've got real people who aren't overly funny either. Yeah. So it's like rather, you know, it goes All the stand-up comedians, you mean? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So rather than having, you know, this sort of fictional world of all these beautiful people who Mm -hmm. are incredibly witty and incredibly funny and everyone's like so unattainably like perfect. Yeah. You've got this thing where it's like people are a bit awkward, people have got flaws, (laughs) you know, people are a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. They really went out of their way to make the, like the stand-up comics kind of like, Average, yeah, and you're not quite sure if they're gonna do anything with this career or not. Yeah, and you're unsure whether to laugh or not at any yeah. of those points. Yeah. What else have we got for imperfection? This is more of a question than a point. Okay. Do you reckon Emily had to pay for that first Uber ride after they slept together? <laughs> I reckon she would have. Because that's so rude. No, but you know how like Uber pay before you. Yeah, but Uber's one of those. It's an automated system. Yeah. Like once you get in. 
the the driver's not in the sort of in a situation where he's like I can put the thing up and down and all of that. It's one of those systems where it's all automated. So I reckon she probably has. Just could have cancelled it, and then he's like, "Oh hey, I got a car right downstairs. I'll just drive you home." It is a funny bit in the it's movie. It's so though. rude. It's good. <laughs> so one of the other things that I had for imperfection was. Touching on the arranged marriage thing that we did before, yeah, I do think it's a little bit overdone, and this sort of stems into my next point that I have. I, I I don't think it needs as much attention as it is given throughout the movie. After you've sort of met one or two of the girls, it's kind of like, okay, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that sort of tying into that point, this doesn't need to be a two-hour movie. No, it doesn't. Th- this is a pretty tight and succinct idea. Mm-hmm. Like the actual concept of the movie is very, very succinct. And you know, as an independent film, I think that 90 minutes would be absolutely perfect yeah. for this. The ending's too drawn out. Yep. The welcome home party, I mean, we touched on that before with yep. the bag of devotion thing. That's a, I don't want to see that scene ever again. <laughs> the move to New York's just not needed. Like, I don't need to see all of that. Yeah. It doesn't add anything oh, to the it. awkward bit with the roommate where it's like, yeah, you should come. So don't say that to him. He will yeah. follow you. <laughs> I just don't think that the last half hour adds anything to the themes that have been explored until then. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this is half an hour too long. And that's not me. I know we have spoken a little bit throughout this podcast of, you know, sometimes movies are too long and I don't want to sort of get into this default mentality of all movies should be 90 minutes. No. It's just that there are a lot of movies that don't need to be more than 90 minutes. And this has a really succinct idea. Yeah. But doesn't have succinct execution. Yeah. They're two different things, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so I think one of the big drivers of that is that the arranged marriage thing probably takes up 15, 20 minutes more than it needs to. There's also... I like the bit where they're going to New York just because you see the mother in the car just like trying to not look at her son. It's really <laughs> – She's just made some extra yeah. batch of curry. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. And do you think that maybe they have to make it that long to make it more obvious that she's in a coma for a long time? Maybe. <laughs> but yeah. I agree it's unnecessary. Yeah, maybe. I mean that's a good point actually about whether it's sort of – you're trying to sort of – it's drawing out the illness side of it. Yeah, and you're sort of trying to convey some, some sense of time through mm. the, the, the length of the movie. Mm. Maybe I just sort of feel like, as I said, it's, it's a very succinct idea and not a succinct execution. Yeah, there could have been another way to do that. Have you got anything else for imperfection before we move on? No. Let's get into our next segment then, which is Lingo Bingo. Everyone will know this one is all about language. where We've got to hit three things for bingo. We've got killer dialogue, lovable jargon and lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. We've got to get all three for bingo. Killer dialogue. Have you got a few nominees? I've got a bunch. Yeah, I've got quite a few. Go on, you start. There's a good one that probably kind of just goes under the radar, but I really like it because normally in movies you see women like bitching behind each other's back and then the girl walks up to them and they're like, oh, hi, how you doing? You know, that fake thing. Yeah. In this, they have it with the guys, with the comedians. Yeah. So there's the like the people say Sam, comedian on stage, and they're at the backstage, they're talking about him. He's like, oh, such a hack. I'm going to tell him how I actually feel about it. I'm going to tell him it's fucking bullshit. Yeah, tell him. Never writes anything new. And then he comes and says, like, great set, dude. Yeah, yeah, killing it, crushing it. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. That is really very good. unusual for blokes to be presented doing that. Yes, yeah. I loved it. One of the uh, nominees that I had for this was just goes back to that uh, Uber bit before when she <laughs> yeah. discovers it. And she goes, were you available for rides while we were fucking? <laughs> and then he responds with... Yeah, but I only looked a couple of times. <laughs> That's great. And then your Uber driver will be ready as soon as he puts on his pants. <laughs> so good. What else have we got? When Kumal's having a family dinner and he's late and his mum <laughs> and his mum is saying, 
I was so worried. We saw on the news that a train derailed and we thought that you were on the train and you had died. Nobody died on that train, Ma. But did they look under the train? <laughs> I was going to say that earlier when we were talking about those settings at the, with the yeah. uh, the family dinners and that. So I was going to bring up that that's definitely my favourite part of all the family dinners. Yeah. That bit's brilliant. Gold. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Kumal and his brother... When they're at the, they're having, they're at the baseball thing, whatever, and they're just eating. And he says, Kumal says to his brother, if I find someone who's as good for me as Fatima is for you, mum would understand, right? I mean, she wouldn't love me less. Oh, she'd definitely love you less. Slowly. It's sort of, what's the word when guys stop returning girls' calls? Ghosting? Yeah. You have to end it right now. Mum will fucking ghost you. (laughs) I like the bit quickly after that when they mentioned something about like she's not white or something like that. Oh, yeah. she is what? She is what? And then they're like, there's no way you can do that. And then he's like, it's okay, guys. He points to everyone else in the in the restaurant where they are and goes, we hate terrorists too. You can't look like that and say I hate white women. That's good. That's really good. I think my favourite uh, is later on with uh, Ray Romano, the dad, and particularly when um, – so. Ray Romano stays round at Kamal's house mm-hmm. and they during the I coma. love that we can't call him anything other than Ray Romano. That's because he's Ray Romano, I'm just saying. <laughs> it. And he's round at the house there sort of during the coma and they're sort of trying to get to know each other. And we discover that Ray Romano has cheated on his wife. Mm-hmm. And he's told Kamal this. And Kamal asks him, Hey, can I ask you something? Why'd you tell her? Oh, I had to. I'm no good with guilt. Do you guys talk about it? Not anymore. She said she forgave me, but but no. She hasn't. Let me give you some advice, Kamal. You're going to know the woman that you want to spend the rest of your life with when you cheat on her. When you cheat on her and you just feel like shit. So to fully know I love someone, I have to cheat on them? Out loud, it sounds stupid. Yeah, that's terrible advice. Love, love isn't easy. That's why they call it love. I don't really get that either. I know. I thought I could just start saying something and something small would come out. It's definitely the best bit of his character. He's really good. Can I give you my other one? Yeah. Oh, there's plenty in this movie, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. It's when she uh, she wakes up out of the coma and the nurse gives her this drink. <laughs> yeah. And she has a sip and she hates the taste of it and she goes, spits it out like that. And then she goes, that tastes like semen. <laughs> and the dad goes, that's what every father wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no inhibitions whatsoever. Have you got another one? Oh, gosh, we're going to keep going. This is really good. Ooh, I have one other. Okay. It is after, what's the mum's name? I forgot what her name is. Beth. It's after Beth has just like had her outburst at Kamal's comedy gig. Like that whole thing is yeah, just great. brilliant. The best bit is afterwards when they get home and Beth's like, I'm so sorry about that. That was, I just sort of lost control. And her husband goes, I thought it was sexy. And Kamal says, me too. Uh, not like sexy, but like cool sexy. Not like a rouse sexy. I'm just not going to say sex anymore. <laughs> so awkward. I loved it when he said me too. That's right. <laughs> so moving Plenty. on, I think we get killer dialogue mm-hmm. there. So we'll tick that one off. Moving on to lovable jargon. Have you got any nominees here? I mean, there's plenty of medical jargon. Yeah, but is it lovable? No. That's the thing. 
you know, the word lovable is in the title of this particular yeah. category. I don't think there is. No. I was going through it. No, the, the same thing. There's medical stuff that they're mentioning, but that none of that's lovable. There's no, no stuff in there where you're like, oh, this is cool. And, there's lots of cricket terminology. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just positions. That's yeah. probably not jargon. It's not jargon, though. No. It's, I don't think we get it for Yeah, this. I don't think we do. And then lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. We fall down again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, this. One out of three. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Let's get into our next segment, which is your awesomely named one, which is... Name that bitch. This is where we pick out someone a little bit obscure in the film, hopefully, if there's enough candidates to do so, <laughs> and then ask who are they and what else have they been in. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, Can I go first with this one? Yeah. Have you got uh, Have you got a nominee, by the way? I do, but I've, it's one I've used before. Okay. Yeah. We might have some crossover here. I've okay. got a nominee and then I've got one which is just a little bit left field. Okay? Yeah, okay. So Kamal's dad. Yes, that's who I had. Oh, you've got that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's Doctor Cliff. Patel. Be- yeah, in Silver Linings. Yes. Yeah. Do you know this was his five hundredth film? Five hundredth. Five hundredth. Is he, is he like a Bollywood legend? Yes. Yeah. And he plays the dad because uh, Kumal's real dad, when asked who do you want to play you in the movie, so was, this guy. Yeah, he's like Anupam Kerr is his name. Yeah. Because he's a Bollywood superstar. Right. And the guy was like, "Well, I better play him then." Right. Yeah. So we had the same one with that. <laughs> That's so good. So I've got another one that I want to just touch on, and mm-hmm. it's not an obscure character at all. I just want to see if that you know sort of what else okay. is it been in. So it's Zoe. Zoe Kazan, yeah. who's, who plays Emily. I don't know anything else she's been in. Ah, Do so I? We, we watched something recently where she was in. It's from years ago. Really? Yeah. I don't know. What? In Revolutionary Road with Leo. Yeah. She's the office worker that Leo cheats oh, on with at the start. Oh, she is too. Yes. So I thought that fit into this category. That's really good. Yeah. yeah, she is too. Gosh, she looks so different. Yeah. I think she's had, I read an interview with her. I think she had a um, an eating disorder back then oh, and shit. she was mentioning that that particular role at Revolutionary Road, mm. I think she was in the middle of an eating disorder had come out of the back of it. Mm. I think when doing some reading and she spoke yeah. about that being a difficult time for oh, her. Oh, wow. And so she does look a lot healthier in this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was maybe the way she was acting because she's so confident in this, whereas in that she's pretty just like, oh, this guy is interested in me. So let's move on to our next one. Oh, I have one other side note in this category. Okay. You know the guy who's shouting out at Kumal at his gig, who's heckling it? Yep. So he has a couple of really good IMDb credits. Right. In The Big Sick, his title is Racist Heckler. Yep, nice. And then like two um, entries down, he's in Madam Secretary, the TV show, as Douchey guy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> this guy has a great career ahead of him. Yeah, I know. Geez, he's going to be a like dude in Hollywood, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Random, but okay. So let's move on to our next one, which is who could you be mates with? So if you were to pull someone out of this movie and plonk them into your real life, mm-hmm. who could you be mates with and why, Danny? I bet you know exactly who I'm going to say in this. It's the mum, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've got her as well. Totally. Yeah. Because I wish I was like her, but I'm not. I'm way more like Ray Romano. <laughs> In my insecurities. So at least I had the same height yes. as Holly Hunter, for sure. And uh, I read somewhere that she turned down the lead role uh, in As Good As It Gets because they weren't going to pay her enough. So I want that woman in my corner. Yeah. She is badass. She needs to be your agent. Yes. Yeah. You getting paid for this <laughs> podcast yet? Shut up. <laughs> Don't rub it in. So I've got the mum for a different reason. Okay. And I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, this is me down to a T, right? So think about the things that when they go back to the house, she instigates. 
She instigates the pizza. She instigates the wine. She instigates the whiskey. Yes. And she instigates all the jokes. <laughs> that sounds like someone I want to yeah. be around. She, I mean, those first three things are listed off are like basically my diet. And she also wants to beat the shit out of the moron at the club, which yeah. means that she'd be a good little person to have in your corner. She's definitely the candidate from this movie. Yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. Be mates she's with. the best character. So that <laughs> takes us to our last segment, which is prequel, sequel or spin-off. So if you could pitch one of these or if you, one of them was to come along, mm-hmm. what would you want to see, Danny, and why? Well, I think in this movie Kumal has written Emily's parents as being like funnier than him. Mm-hmm. Even though he's the comedian. I guess Raymond Mano is a comedian as well. But I want to see – so I feel like he held back basically okay. for himself. So I want to see him write something else that he's not so personally attached to and then maybe you use a few more of his talents better yeah. for himself. Yeah, nice. Because I think there's a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean he does play a very restrained character in this. Yeah. yeah I, I do know what you mean. I think that he probably has – a much funnier streak that not a lot of people have seen yeah. just yet. Yeah, yeah, that could make for a very good movie. I went slightly different, so I th- sort of thought, mm, what if you could go away? If you could maybe lift some characters out of this, but go away from the sort of the the quite heavy nature of the subject matter in this one. And I was like, you know, what I reckon would be funny. Mm-hmm. So take Kamal's brother <laughs> and his dad, put them together as a duo. And it's like a black comedy of those two fighting the casual racism of the society that's around them (laughs) while also being a little bit blissfully unaware of some of the cultural things around them in the US as well. (laughs) I think that would be a really funny movie. That's a really good one. Because both of of them have got like a real slapstick nature to their delivery. Yeah. It it would be be a lot more – It'd be a little bit sillier and a little bit stupid than this movie. This movie's mm. quite intelligent and quite aware and all that sort of thing. Mm. It would be way more slapstick, but that's because those guys, their characters in this have got that sort of tone in the way that they deliver their lines. Yeah. I think those two together and then just being in like, you know, think of it just lots of random bars and all that yeah, sort of stuff yeah, yeah. around the US and them having these <laughs> sort of blissfully unaware conversations with certain people and then they, in a way, they're sort of fighting the racism around them. Yeah, I had not given those two characters two seconds of thought, but that is a great call. I love it. Yeah. And another pitch from the movie for two podcast that we might look to get off the <laughs> off the ground in we many need, years to come. We need the movie for two network, basically. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're a little while from that day. <laughs> if we keep pumping out episodes, we might get there. Getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Danny, that's all we've got time for. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back again next week, everyone, with another episode. Until then, give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Movie for Two Podcast. And please leave us a rating and a review on Apple. It really helps the pod. That's all for now. You've been listening to the Movie for Two podcast. Until next time. Bye.